the landowner needs to hire some workers. So he goes to the marketplace and hires workers at the beginning of the day. It's unclear if these are extra workers in addition to his regular workforce or if these are all of the workers he needs for the fields. But either way, at the beginning of the day, the landowner hires all of the workers he needs. There is no negotiation. The landowner and the early morning workers agreed upon a fair wage for the day's work, one denarius. This is a normal, everyday transaction. Both parties knew what to expect. They knew the rules of the road, so to speak. All is normal. The landowner goes about his business. The workers go to the field and meet with the overseer. Work begins picking grapes to make the wine the landowner will sell later in the year in the same marketplace he found his workers. For whatever reason, the landowner wanders back to the marketplace later in the day and finds other workers standing around waiting for work. Who are these people? Were they there earlier in the day and the landowner overlooked them? Had they already completed their work and returned back to the marketplace hoping to find more work? Were they just slightly less physically capable and so less likely to be chosen for work earlier in the day? The landowner asks none of these questions. He doesn't interrogate their purpose or their perceived value. There is no interview asking them to name why they are the most qualified candidate for the job. The landowner simply says, you. You have no employment and have I have enough for you. Come to the field and work. There is again no negotiation, just a promise to pay them what is fair. The landowner does this two more times. There is no questioning or evaluation. He simply goes to the Home Depot and sees some folks in need of work and hires them. The landowner is not concerned about profitability or if he needs these folks or if they are good enough for his field. The landowner sees they need work, that they have no employment, that none of the other landowners who were hiring saw value in them, and hires them to work in his field. I know no one has chosen you. I choose you. You are good enough for me. At the end of the day, each worker is paid for his work according to what the landowner considers to be fair, one denarius each enough for their daily bread. Isn't that what we pray for? Enough from God to supply our daily bread? The landowner pays each worker the same, their daily bread. But daily bread isn't good enough for the early workers. They become enraged, angry with God. Don't we deserve more money, more influence, more power, more say? We've been here all day. We were the most attractive workers, the most qualified, the healthiest, the strongest, the smartest. We deserve more than those losers who nobody else wanted. The landowner stops and says, It is my money. You have no right to it. We agreed to a fair wage of one denarius, your daily bread. This land is mine. This money is mine. I hired everyone who needed work, and I choose to pay them all enough for their daily bread. There is nothing wrong with my heart and my kindness, God says. Sorry, I, I mean the landowner says. It is my field, my world, my people. 
I can call every person I choose. You don't get a vote about who was worthy to be in my field. I pay each person I call equally, God says. The landowner reminds the workers who is in charge, who invited them to the field in the first place, the one who gives them grace. The first laborer's main complaint is the less valuable workers in the world's eyes are equal to them. These lesser people are offered just as much grace, just as much say, given a seat right next to them in the kingdom of God. Jesus told this story in the context of two questions about grace and the disciples' place in heaven. Just prior to this story in chapter 19, Peter and the disciples are arguing about who will get to sit next to Jesus in heaven. Peter is sure he deserves a seat right next to Jesus because, obviously, he's Peter. This makes the other disciples angry. Aren't we right here risking our lives right next to you, following Jesus just like you? What makes you think you deserve a better place in heaven? Peter replies, Well, I was first. That makes me the best, the most important, the most valuable. You can almost hear Jesus sigh in the background. Then Jesus tells this parable about the landowner who calls people at different times and yet treats them equally. James and John must have missed the story because their mother comes up to Jesus shortly after this parable is shared and asks if maybe her son could have the best place, you know, thrones, one on each side of Jesus. But when it comes down to it, it's the criminal on the cross next to Jesus at the crucifixion who gets the best seat. The first laborers aren't upset about their wage. It's exactly what they'd agreed to with the landowner, what they'd been offered. They're just upset that other people who they view as less desirable, less worthy, get the same amount of grace. They didn't earn it like the first laborers did. There is nothing you can do externally to earn grace. The landowner hires the workers regardless of ability or even his own level of need. God calls people not based on their ability or whether or not God needs their help. God does not need your help. But God asks for it. There is nothing you can do to earn your grace. It doesn't matter how long or how short you have believed in God. It doesn't matter if you have ever externally responded to God's grace in a way another person can judge as good enough to qualify. You are not the important part of this equation. God is the one who offers grace. God is the one who goes out into the field and hires the workers and pays them a daily wage and offers them daily bread. God does the hiring not based on your ability to perform or whether or not you believe the right things or respond in the right way or whether you are good enough for anyone else besides God. Did you notice the landowner didn't ask the overseer how the workers performed? God didn't hire them because he needed more help in the vineyard. God hired them because they needed life, dignity, the respect given by hard work, and the pride we feel at the end of the day because we've contributed to God's vineyard. We work for the landowner because we are chosen. We are not chosen because of the work we can or will do. The freedom of that kind of unearned grace may be unsettling for you. My mother told me she hated this parable. 
we were chatting about church and plans and things. She asked me what I was preaching on. And she, when I told her, she legitimately yelled, yuck, I hate that parable. I said, of course you do. You'd be in the group of workers who showed up first thing in the morning. It reminds her she can't ever work hard enough to earn God's love or grace. And it's not a grade you can achieve or a success you can control. And for someone who graduated from college with four degrees, two in hard sciences, not being able to achieve something through sheer hard will is the worst possible scenario. She can't outwork grace or God's generosity, and she's been able to outwork everything in her life. But some things... The best things in life are not earnable or attainable. They are simply given to you because of who you are. Love, kindness, acceptance, a place to fit in the world. You can't make them happen or add an extra five hours to your work week and get a sense of security and self-confidence because of it. You can't earn God's love or grace because it's God's to give. It's God's grace and you can't control it, or earn it, or be good enough for it. It is simply given. And that kind of freely given, unearned grace may not sound like good news to you. But it's amazing news for those who will never be able to earn it. Never quite be good enough for other people or themselves. Never quite feeling like they fit in the world. For the last workers of the day, this freedom is amazing. The pride of place they got because they were finally chosen is a gift beyond measure. Several years ago, I was serving communion at a youth conference. The conference staff asked me to take communion from the table to a side room. I entered the room and it was dim, the conference music lightly playing. A woman and a high schooler, probably 14 or 15, were sitting together in the side area. She patiently explained to her companion why I was there and what was about to happen. He didn't acknowledge or respond, really, except to hold his hand out towards me. I was super confused. I'm not really sure what to do. She smiled and nodded gently, so I placed the bread in his hand. He handed it back. I looked at the woman, I'm assuming his mother, and she gestured for me to dip the bread into the cup, then hand it back to him. So I did just that and gently, quietly spoke the words, this is Christ for you. He took the bread and he ate it, then paused his rocking for a moment as if in the stillness of prayer. And I left. Now, there were probably 300 things wrong with that, theologically or polity-wise, but in the moment, this was the purest distillation of the grace of God. The child will never be able to speak the word of faith, or do work for God in the vineyard, or live the right kind of life of faith, but he knew he was chosen, loved, claimed by the God who knew him, who saw him. God's grace is for you, but God's grace is most importantly for him, for the people who are less valuable, less important, just less in the world, the ones who can't speak for themselves, who will never say yes, but who know, deeply know the valuable grace of God. 
The grace made even more valuable because it can't be earned and doesn't depend on your ability to be good enough or to succeed or to win. It's just offered to you. So God's free grace may not sound like good news to you, but it really is amazing, wonderful news. And we live into that freedom and gratefulness. I've got good news for you. You did not earn God's grace or favor. Thanks be to God.